Pray with me, please. Be with us this morning, God. Quiet our hearts. May our spirits be still, that we might hear from you. Amen. I begin by quoting at length a passage from Cormac McCarthy's celebrated novel, Blood Meridian. Lost ye way in the dark, said the old man. The kid didn't answer. So the old man swung his head back and forth and said, Yes, the way of the transgressor is hard. God made this world, but he didn't make it to suit everybody, did he? I don't believe he had me much in mind, said the kid. I, said the old man. But where does a man come by his notions? What world's a man seen that he likes better than this? I can think of better places and better ways, said the kid. But can you make it be, the old man asked. No. No, the kid replied. No, the old man responded. No, it's a mystery. A man can know his heart, but he don't want to. Rightly so. Best not to look in there. For it ain't the heart of a creature that is bound in the way that God has set for it. No, when God made man, evil was at man's elbow. You believe that? Do you believe that? He asks. We wrestle not, the Apostle Paul writes, with flesh and blood but with powers and principalities, with the powers of darkness, with spiritual forces of evil in high places. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, with powers and principalities and evil. Today marks week number two of our five-week sermon series on the life and the crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth, a series in which we are considering various ways that Holy Scripture and that Christian tradition have tried to make sense of what Jesus' death by crucifixion means, about why it happened, and about what it brought to pass, what it achieved. And I open this sermon this morning with this talk about evil because the biblical theme that we will be considering today, that is, the particular theory of atonement that we will be most closely focused on, is all about how Jesus' death delivers humankind from bondage to evil. And if we don't consider ourselves 
to be in some sense bound to and by evil. That is not only surrounded by it, but also somehow compelled by it. If we don't consider that to be the case, then, well, nothing about this theme and this theory will be particularly meaningful to us. So that is why I open the sermon by not only talking about evil, but by quoting at length from Cormac McCarthy, who's one of our greatest living novelists, a man who understands more deeply than most how evil is a kind of force rather than a kind of act. How it is a power in the world rather than merely the outcome of bad decisions. And moreover, I cite McCarthy because for as clearly as he recognizes the forces of evil and darkness in the world, something we don't often do in modern society, while he does recognize these forces in the world, McCarthy does not profess faith in traditional Christian ideas like the resurrection of Christ and the redemption of humanity from evil. No, for McCarthy, evil simply is what it is. And we as human beings simply are what we are. Perhaps, for McCarthy, like the kid in his book, we can imagine a better world and a better reality than the one that we know. But also, like the kid, we are helpless to make it be. Lost your way in the dark. The old man character says to the kid, Lost ye way in the dark. Well, such for McCarthy is the human situation. We are all lost in the dark. So it is that Jesus in Mark chapter 10 says, that the Son of Man came to give His life as a ransom for many. To give His life as a ransom for many. In other words, to liberate humankind from the darkness. To ransom it. Traditionally called the ransom theory or Christus Victor, Christ the victor, this theory of atonement, as such are often called, this theory that we're considering today pulls together all sorts of themes and images in Scripture that have to do with human nature being redeemed from bondage, with human nature being liberated from oppression, with human nature being ransomed from captivity. Here through this perspective on Jesus' life and death, that is, when seen through the lens of this particular biblical metaphor, remember there are tons of these, here through the lens of this particular image, Jesus in His humanity, after having gone toe-to-toe every day of His life with the spiritual forces of evil and darkness, every day, 
having defied these forces of darkness to the very end, and having received on the cross darkness's most harrowing and concentrated assault yet, evil's final stand, so to speak, here on the cross, by failing to give in to these forces or to be overcome by these forces, Jesus, through this image, hereby disempowers them. The first human being to ever fully resist and thereby deflect them. And so having fully resisted them, death then, which is bound to evil like effect is to cause, death then has no hold on Jesus and thus he is raised to life victorious. Such is the ransom concept. And so for the purposes of this particular biblical metaphor, what follows then is that Jesus in his resurrection brings not only himself, but follow me here, brings all of human nature through the hellish agony of death out the other side and into the freedom of his resurrection. The first human being to arrive. He hereby ransoms humanity from our vulnerability and bondage to evil, sin, and death. In his resurrection, he sets human nature free from all of these things. Now, it can be difficult and confounding to wrestle with such ideas as these. But that's okay. For the purpose of the various images and metaphors used in Scripture to describe Christ's life and death is to help us perceive different aspects of a grand mystery that we will never be able to fully comprehend. Considering each image is like holding a diamond up to the light from a different angle. Each angle bringing out a different aspect of the diamond's hidden beauty. This is just one of many images that help us get a better hold of this grand, beautiful mystery. And all of this ransom talk can sound somewhat foolish. If we understand the ransom that is taking place in this metaphor to be some sort of literal payment that God is making to the devil. For not only does this reduce the true horror and the astonishing magnitude of spiritual evil to an overly simplistic caricature, but it also seems to suggest that God, the creator of the universe, must enter into a bartering arrangement with evil, which is certainly not the case. It's absurd on its face. Now the problem here is not that God has to buy humanity back from the forces of evil, whatever that might even mean. Instead, the problem is that evil has attached itself to humanity, like a virus to a host, 
And thus, God is working to cure the virus while retaining the humanity. So then, in the life and death of Jesus, what is being ransomed, what is being liberated and set free, is not so much a human being, any human being, but is the entire human nature that has been corrupted and beset by evil. The central idea here is that it takes a human being who can fully withstand the contagion of evil to fully overcome the contagion on humanity's behalf. Something none of the rest of us could ever do. And so that then is the cost of the ransom. The excruciating hardship and the inevitable suffering that necessarily comes with withstanding evil's most concentrated assaults. With being the magnet, so to speak, that draws evil's sharpest, most hellacious attacks to itself. Can you even imagine the cost? And in this metaphor, it is a cost borne by God and in effect rendered to God. Thus the cost then is not arbitrary nor vindictive, as some distortions of this image would make it seem but is instead the only way to restore peace, justice, and shalom in the world without overriding creation or effacing humanity. We all still together? This is heavy, I know. We've got three more weeks like this. Central to this idea is the foundational belief that while evil does have humanity in its grip, so to speak, and while sin does beset our human nature, and while death does have dominion over all who live, that this is not the way that God intended for things to be. That things in creation are wildly off track, That the world in which we live is somehow bent and broken. That this virus of sorts has gotten into the whole system of things and plagues everything it touches. All of this rests on that belief about things. And we need not get into any speculation today about how things got so off track. And about how these malign forces ever got a foothold to begin with, that's a conversation for another day. Instead, today, all we really have to do is decide which perspective concerning the reality of evil rings most true to us. So is it, number one, that yes, bad things do happen in the world, But these bad things are not compelled by any malign forces or external realities. That we are not in some sense in bondage to anything beyond ourselves. That we're in complete control as human beings. Is it that? Or is it that number two, there are evil forces in the world, as Cormac McCarthy would have it. And that these evil forces do often have their way with us. But that this is just how it is. 
and was never meant to be any different. Because meant doesn't even factor into the equation. It just is. Or finally, is it that number three, there are evil forces in the world. Forces that do exert a kind of claim on us. But that this is so because things are not currently the way they are supposed to be. That we were created to be free of such forces, yet somehow they have come to wield a certain kind of power over and among us. Let it be said, all three of these perspectives are viable and they are defensible, which is to say they can each be argued persuasively. You'll never prove one over the other. But according to the traditional Christian story, it is explanation number three that most closely reflects reality. And so in response to this reality, the ransom theme claims that the life and death of Jesus ransoms the human, ransoms the human race from its captivity to these evil forces, thereby freeing humanity for life as it was originally intended to be. Now make no mistake, this truly freed life can only be experienced in the present in anticipatory fashion. Christianity has never claimed otherwise. But, in the person of the resurrected Jesus, we who believe that story believe that humanity has seen in him what this liberation looks like in its fullest consummation. For here in the person of the resurrected Jesus, we behold the new Adam, the new human being, the first truly alive human being, the first human being utterly liberated from the provocations and the compulsions and the onslaughts of evil, sin, and death. Thus we see here a representative model of what awaits all redeemed human beings. We see here the very glory of God a human being fully alive, as we said last week. And fully alive, we say this week, because ransomed from the evil forces that for now so determinedly seek to bring about self-destruction and death. Does this all sound absurd? Perhaps. Perhaps. But I invite you to look closely within. And to then look carefully without. Lost are we not in the darkness ourselves? Like McCarthy's character says to the kid. Yes, it's a mystery, the old man says. A man can know his heart. 
but he don't want to. For it's best not to look in there. Because it ain't the heart of a creature that is bound in the way that God has set for it. It's broken. For when God made man, evil was at man's elbow. So McCarthy writes before asking, You believe that? You believe that? Well, gang, as outdated and unfashionable as such might sound these days, I do believe that. For as soon as I look within myself or open a newspaper, it suddenly seems patently apparent to me. So yes, I do believe that. But I also believe this. That thanks to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, a day is soon coming and now is when the human heart will once more be bound in the way that God has set it for. And that come that day, we will no longer wrestle with powers and principalities, with dark forces and evil spirits, but will be fully liberated to worship God and to pursue the good without external harassment or encumbrance. For even now the breath of the Holy Spirit from that coming world blows forth into this one. Empowering us and giving us glimpses of what we'll one day be and of who we will one day become. Thus even now the powers that exert this hold upon us are being weakened like a frozen field beginning to thaw. One day we shall be truly free. And the world that we can only imagine now but cannot make for ourselves will be the redeemed world in which we shall all dwell forevermore. For the ransom of human nature has already taken place. Our ultimate deliverance from evil has been secured. Human nature has been healed. For I have come to give my life as a ransom for many, Jesus said to his disciples. As the old man asked the kid, so I ask you now. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? All God's people said, Amen. And as we now prepare to sing our